Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae is returning record amounts of money to Mississippians, whether it's through the College and Career Savings Program or the millions in unclaimed money awaiting your claim. Treasurer David McRae says get your application and claims today. Treasury.ms.gov. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert along with will east today in for the vacationing rhino we're in the element well studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music as rhino would say it's friday eve there will yes sir and it's cold it uh it did turn out a little chilly after that front finally pushed the bad weather through the Magnolia State. The torrential rains here in central Mississippi, a little bit more severe weather towards the uh, southeastern region of the state. But uh, all in all, looks like it went through fairly uneventful. And we had, of course, uh, national meteorologists from the National Weather Service on yesterday who told us, get ready for another round later on after the program later on in the day, particularly focused on the southeastern corner, and that's what happened, in mm. fact. So our friends on the Mississippi Gulf Coast seem to be, have come out of that unscathed, but there was tornado watches, warnings for quite some time after that. But you knew when it was as warm, your shorts one day, and now it's a little chillier today. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's what happens. Those air masses, uh, air masses, excuse me, clash up, and bad weather ensues. And that's what we have. But it's out of here. It looks like it's going to be chilly for a while. Yeah. Across the state. And you can thank Russia for that. Huh? You can thank Russia for that. Explain. Uh, all this cold weather that we're about to get the next couple of weeks, yeah. it's all coming from Siberia, apparently. I was reading that this morning. So you can mm. thank Russia for your, the chilly temps that are about to hit. I don't know if it's going to be enough for a white Christmas, though. Yeah. Uh, but there are certainly some predictions looking out around the Christmas that it's going to be awfully chilly. Yeah, uh, especially in the northern part of the state, I've seen, uh, but pretty much the entire middle part of the United States, on down to around the tip of Mississippi, the uh, most of Arkansas, it's going to be in a. It's going. They say that it's going to challenge some records. That's hmm. how cold it's going to be. Wow. Well, I would prefer that certainly over it being kind of crazy hot and humid and stormy. Yes. Uh, during that uh, holiday, I was time out weed eating the, uh, last week. Uh, <laughs> just to tell you how warm it's been. <laughs> yeah, it is crazy. The uh, Mississippi State got him a new football coach. They uh, named yesterday 
that defensive coordinator Zach Arnett is going to be, he's currently the interim coach, yeah. head coach, is going to be promoted to the position as permanent head coach. That was announced uh, accompanied by a four-year contract with an annual salary of $3 million with some performance-based incentives as well. He's been the defensive coordinator at Mississippi State since 2020. He was hired by by the late uh, coach Mike Leach. He was hired onto the staff. And, and best I can tell, the the Bulldog nation seems to be pleased with this. He's been a very excellent defensive coordinator. If you saw uh, Mississippi State's defense this year, and they're supposed to be good next year because they're returning a lot of, uh, of the defensive players, the defense was really solid for them, and uh, a lot of that was Zach Arnett. And there are some people out there going, well, why make the decision now? It was a little quick. Because of this calendar, Mississippi State, from what I understand, almost had to make this decision now because the transfer portal is open, opened up on the 5th. You've got national or the early signing day on the 21st, so next Wednesday. You've got the signing period, and if you don't have a coach by then, things can unravel really quickly. You've You'll have players decommit and all this kind of stuff. And so what what happens is now that they've named Zach Arnett as the head coach, it provides some stability. And you've seen Mississippi State pick up a, a commit or two, yeah. um, pretty significant ones, over the past couple of days. So uh, it stabilizes the program. He's he's one of those, these guys that you knew eventually he would, based on his resume and the way that he's done, that he would eventually get a head coaching gig somewhere but he's 36 years old. People expected it to be a few years from now. Yeah. But because of the circumstances, he gets it now. So uh, I think Mississippi State fans, for the most part, are happy. Uh, he's a heck of a defensive coordinator. Now the question becomes who they're going to get as their offensive coordinator. You kind of have to get somebody who does the air raid system, and there's been some names thrown out there. So we'll see. You would think – I think it's a good move. You would think that what's the highest priority in the program is some stability at this point. And you're, it's it, timing is just a very peculiar in the, in that and critical in that you've got a a bowl game, you've mm-hmm. got the portal, you've got recruiting, just a lot going on. Yeah, and a lot of people said, why not just make him an interim for a year, see how it works mm-hmm. out, and then the issue with that again is recruiting, and that's so important to college football. It's the Jimmy Jimmy's and Joes a lot of time, not the X's and O's. Yes. And so if you have just an interim coach for a year, people can use that as um, – They'll use it against you. Use it against you, yeah. basically. You saying, may like hey, the interim coach, but he's interim. He's right? interim. You don't yeah. know if he's going to be there. Yeah. So – No doubt. It's, it's, um, it's a complex environment with lots of moving parts. And I suspect that these were the discussions that uh, Dr. Mark Keenum, president – Mississippi State, and of course they're presently without a permanent athletic director. That's another complicating factor. So uh, I think this was the right move, and and we shall see. From all accounts, seems to be a really quality person and a great coach. You're right. You certainly couldn't argue with the success the program sat on the field under him defensively, and that's uh, that's where we are. So that move's been made. We. Also have a new head coach at Jackson State. We discussed that as well. So this is the time of year where sometimes you see 
some attrition and some some churn and in the college ranks and that's what we're seeing. But gosh, if you look at the slate of head coaches in the SEC West, it's it's pretty impressive for sure. Uh, and I think it just makes it more entertaining, <laughs> more attractive to just watch and see. Got some some interesting characters in and play. And money does not always equal success. No doubt about it. We've seen that with Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. You know, he's not that he's I would say he's underachieving, how about that, oh, Rel- yeah. relative to the compensation. Oh, absolutely. I think that's I fair. I guess they didn't make a bowl game, did they? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. On the program today, Ricky Matthews will join us in the next segment. He, of course, uh, of course is the host of Coast View and Super Talk Outdoors on Super Talk Mississippi. And we're going to be talking about this issue of whether or not the state of Mississippi should allow the sale of white-tailed deer. This has evolved in the last couple of weeks, I think it's fair to say, as a controversial issue, and we'll get Ricky to break it down for us and share his insights and thoughts. And then at 11.05, Senator Roger Wicker, and he's going to talk about this Twitter debacle. He's got a couple of bills that he is pushing that would address censorship by the social media platforms and really more importantly in my mind is what appears to be now fairly egregious collusion between agencies in the federal government and agency operators there and this private company that seems to be more influential in determining the outcome in political races, uh, that that honestly bothers me to somewhat. So we're now saying that, hey, depending on what you see on Twitter and who kind of controls the content that flows through the tool, is is really the key factor in determining who's the president. That's it's, it's a little amazing. bothersome. And you can you can read the messages that people are writing back and forth to each other. That's, that I know. blows my mind. It is crazy. So we'll get uh, the senator to share his thoughts on that. And then Mississippi State Senator Jeremy England, he represents District 51 on the Gulf Coast. He's the vice chair of the Economic Development House Committee. We'll get him to give us an outlook on the 2023 legislative session, which not only is just around the corner, we're well inside a month. Until they gather up down there under the dome and start making them laws again. (laughs) It's time for a break right here on Middays. When we come back, Ricky Matthews, stay with us. Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's do it. 
Welcome back. We are in the Element Well Studios. Super Talk Mississippi Middays. Joining us now, Ricky Matthews of Super Talk. He, of course, hosts Coast View and a Super Talk Outdoors. Ricky, good to see you, my friend. Good to see you too, Gerard. How are you doing? We're doing fantastic. Please break down for our audience exactly what's going on here with this proposition, I guess it is at this point, to allow the sale of white-tailed deer in the state of Mississippi. What's happening here? Well, what's kind of troubling about it just right off the bat is it hasn't even been introduced as an issue for public discussion yet by the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Park Commission. It just started, I think several people started getting wind to a few private high-fence landowners, rich, politically connected um, uh, plan to, uh, to, to, I think they've been working with commis- some commissioners behind the scenes to uh, introduce this bill and have it passed so that white-tailed deer could be, <clears throat> could be, you know, uh, sold, you know, legally owned by individuals and sold. And, um, and to say the least, Gerard, if we were to do that, it would be opening up Pandora's box. But right off the bat, just the, f- the fact that there's this thing going on behind the scenes and it hasn't been introduced to the public, that's troubling in and of itself. But, yeah. you know, at the basis of it is that we use a North American wildlife uh, conservation management pr- process in Mississippi that's widely used across the nation. And, uh, and it goes a, lot, a long way back. Mississippi got, excuse me, America got it early on that that wildlife don't belong to the king anymore, like it ha- like was the case in England. And they are, you know, the king and his people are the ones who owned all the guns. Mississippi uh, sort of signed up for what North America uh, mostly went toward, and that is the fact that wildlife belong to the public. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's important for a lot of reasons. I think you know right off the bat, you think about CWD and other other management efforts. You think about the conservation models that that describe uh, when deer seasons are going to be and, and and how how many deer someone can take, et cetera. That's all managed by the state. And uh, I think that's an important principle, and that has en- enabled us in Mississippi to take wild wild tailed deer and turkeys and other animals. And uh, bring them back. To, you know, some of them are on the brink, the brink of not even existing in Mississippi anymore. And these incredible wildlife management efforts have really worked well for us to uh, to, to manage the herd. So that at the end of the day, white-tailed deer belong to the public. And if you say now that a few rich people can own white-tailed deer, then it's going to make it impossible for the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks to to manage the herd appropriately, both from a disease point of view and from a conservation point of view. It's Pandora's box in just about every way you can imagine. Hmm. So how, you know, the deer obviously uh, move about quite a bit, so how, how do you lock them up? What, what's the plan there? What are, what are these folks <laughs> thinking about that want well, So right now, right, that's, that's a good question, and, you know, people need to understand that, that the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks Commission approved the use of high fences some time ago. But it's important also to realize that there was the, the reason for doing it was to better manage the, the deer that were on their land. If you had high fence, and there are about 125 permanent high fence uh, enclosures in Mississippi. And I should also huh. point out, and, and, and I'm starting to get a lot of inside information from people, uh, lots of people concerned about this, both inside the department and outside the department. One of the points they wanted me to really understand is that 99% of the enclosed uh, properties 
the owners of those properties are not behind the sell this effort to sell deer. It's only a few of them. Right. But um, but even the deer that's inside these 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 enclosures belong belong to the public. Okay. And uh, that's a really important distinction. Huh. Interesting. So, what was there? It's my understanding, Ricky, that there was uh, uh, contact made, request made for opinion, right, with the attorney general yeah, yeah. on this matter. That yeah. maybe they issued an opinion that is in direct conflict with a previously issued opinion under a prior attorney general. Is that correct? And that's right. And Lynn Fitch will be quick to tell you that um, they, you know, it's not necessarily unusual for the current attorney general's office to issue opinions that differ with, say, the opinion that Jim Hood had done before. Yeah. What's important in this particular case, though, is that the opinion, the very detailed opinion that Jim Hood issued uh, was a very conservative opinion, actually. And it protected the wildlife and it reconfirmed that that that. Um, that that you know it's that wildlife are in the public trust. Yeah. Uh, what Lynn Fitch's opinion is is more narrow and essentially says that the commission has a has a right has the ability to be able to 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 say whether or not white-tailed deer can be sold or not in Mississippi. And I think it's going to be the basis for a significant challenge if it happens. Uh, a lot of this has been happening behind the scenes. We're slowly but surely letting people know about it. But, you know, notes are starting to come to me from a wide variety of people. There are over seven hundred thousand hunters and fishermen in this state. Yeah, and this is to their in, their best interest. And these few people, you know, they may make good points, but at the end of the day, the, the what makes Mississippi's wildlife heritage is that we have we take a, an, a, an approach toward conservation. That mean that says that wildlife belong to the public, and any effort to move away from that, I think, is going to really get work uh, a lot of hunters up in a frenzy because you know it's going to be impossible to to manage um, things like CWD in the future if 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 we were essentially what they want to do is they want to make the white-tailed deer that's in their enclosure. Uh, livestock that would then be managed by yeah. the Department of Agriculture, I guess. It's, it's, a, it's a terrible, terrible situation. This has been challenged all across the United States. Texas has challenged, been challenged many times. The state Supreme Court in Texas has ruled that the uh, white-tailed deer belong to the public. But, there's, you know, there's still a, it's just a mess in Texas. I hope we don't get there. It is pretty evident that this is going to get introduced. There's a commission meeting happening right now, so they may have introduced it now and started the public commenting process, but so far what's happened is behind the scenes. Yeah. So, Ricky, is this something that requires action by the legislature, a law to be passed, or can this be uh, just handed down, adopted as a rule by the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries? Well, Lynn Fitch's opinion essentially says that the Commission has the authority to do this. Okay. Now, what that probably will do, though, is the legislature will get up in arms about it, and they, and the, and what it will do is create the need for them to, uh, I guess, you know, uh, pass a new law. But it's unfortunate, though. You would you would hope that the commission, the commission of the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks would would sign up for the fact that the North American Conservation Wildlife Management approach has been one of the reasons that Mississippi is the capital of the outdoors in America. And why would we do anything to undermine that? You know, and it would affect 
our outdoor heritage for many generations to come just because a few rich guys with enclosures want to be able to sell the deer, sell the deer for hunts or for to can hunt operations. By the way, that opens up a whole nother Pandora's box mm -hmm. that I, I don't think give hunters a good name, and that is going to kill deer or any other wildlife inside enclosures. And so that's, you know, that's going to, that'll end up being discussed. And we're going to find out who are these people who want to be deer kings in Mississippi. We'll, we will soon know who they are. Okay. I've heard several names, but we'll know who they are. And um, we can understand what their intentions are. And I don't think we need deer kings in Mississippi. That's at the end of the day, I think that's kind of where this conversation is headed. Well, if the AG has said the commission is vested with this authority, my concern would be that maybe some of those people who seek this or have a vote, they're on the commission. Oh, there's no doubt about it. What I'm hearing about how politically connected they are, they're major contributors on a number of fronts. That's how you get on the board, and, on the commission, uh, though, Ricky. Working hard. That's, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, that's how it works. I mean, the, the governor has, the, is. has the scepter, is. Is essentially, and uh, that's it is. And how it that is works. It's unfortunate that they... They want to make our wildlife the king's deer, as opposed to the public's deer. And the the Pandora's box this will open up is something that Mississippi doesn't need to be dealing with right now. We don't need hunters fighting hunters. We don't we don't need outdoorsmen fighting outdoorsmen. We're we're living in an anti-hunting world right now. Yeah. And some have argued that the North American conservation model has been one of the Aldo Leopold is the father of that. The reason we've been so successful in, in fending off anti-hunters is because of this conservation model that we all support. So mm. you know we're gonna have all those debates and we're gonna and it's gonna be ugly and and the ethics behind, you know, hunting, can hunts, and all of that. It's, it's I, I just hope we don't go there, but it's pretty clear we are headed there. Wow. We certainly hadn't heard the last of this. And, Ricky, we appreciate you coming on Middays and breaking it down for us. And we'll be tracking it and, and uh, look forward to you updating us on it as well. I know you'll be talking about it on Superdog Outdoors as well. So this is a big thing people in Mississippi need to know about. Appreciate you coming on, Ricky. Good to see you. Thanks for your interest, my friend, and thanks for the great job you continue to do. And Merry Christmas, my Oh, friend. thank you. Merry Christmas, Ricky. Appreciate it. You too, sir. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Stay with us. Bring it on! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. So Will pops in the studio here where I am positioned with two television screens in view. One I always have on the business channel, and Will happens to glance at it and notes that the Dow is plummeting today. Seven. Yeah, it's down 767. There is a market sell-off. 
The NASDAQ down 323, and both of those figures are in the 3% range of being down for the day, which is a big sell-off. The S&P down 2.5%. And so it's just in the wake of Fed Chairman Powell's remarks yesterday after the Open Market Committee met and voted to raise the Fed funds rate, the benchmark interest rate, by half a point. Now that was baked in, that was expected. But it's it's all it's not the rate hike itself that I think drives investor sentiment. It's always the Fed chair's remarks after the committee meeting. When he gives his little speech. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And you look for certain or listen it's, for certain words. Yeah, that's right. And it's a and it's a press conference, right? Uh, there's media journalist in the room. He's speaking to them, addressing them, and then he takes questions. It, it sort of resembles uh, a White House press conference, if you will, except these are journalists come from uh, business and financial media. It makes sense, of course. They're going to ask these more wonky questions, honestly, of the Fed chairman. Well, there's a couple of things that, that investors try to key in on. One is just the tone, literally the tone of voice, the facial expressions. <laughs> I mean, th- these guys, it's... Sounds dour. Yeah, it's, it's, ch- <laughs> it's... Sell, sell, sell. It's playing chess. It really is. It, now, when you're, when you're dealing, uh, when you're working in a, a, a period, an era, where you just don't expect interest rate movement which is what we had, say, during the Trump years, as an example. We had about 10 years of pretty muted interest rates, uh, Fed funds rate, zero or slightly higher. But now, of course, we've seen a series of rate hikes from zero less than a year ago now to four and a half, the benchmark benchmark uh, rate, four and a half, four and a quarter to four and a half, four and three quarters range is usually the way it's, it is stated. And so... He, he yesterday just seemed a little negative. He seemed a little stern. Like, you know, this inflation thing, guys, even though we had a relatively positive trend reported on Tuesday, he comes out and says, oh, we got a long way to go. And there's a word that the investment community does look for in the Fed chair's remarks that can influence market and that, the markets, and that word is ongoing so, in a period where rates are rising, ongoing indicates we got more to come. In a period where they're reducing the rate, ongoing means we got more reductions coming. Well, yesterday, with a rate increase in this use of the word ongoing numerous times in Jay Powell's remarks, I was watching the market, and you could just watch it trend downward and sell off whenever he invoked that word, and then overnight with the futures, uh, we're way down, and, and they've it's moved a little bit, but right now the Dow's down 770. So there's a bit of a disconnect between what the market thinks and what Jerome Powell thinks, and the, the markets consumed this information Tuesday, which showed a slight decrease in core inflation and inflation in overall the CPI, and they 
they sort of hold that as a trend. Okay, we're going down, down, down. It's a good thing Jay's going to kind of take the foot off the pedal. But Jerome comes out yesterday, Fed Chairman Powell says, we got a long way to go. And he's made it pretty clear. I mean, if you read between the lines, this is what the average person needs to know, as opposed to the investment community, though they're taking stock of this as well. He wants to put us in a recession, like a severe recession. That's, that was the takeaway from analysts after his remarks. He's not happy about the fact that the job market is still tight. And we had unemployment report today. And unemployment claims declined. And that's what's got the markets really upset today. You would think that yesterday's sell-off was sufficient based on his his remarks and his, his indications. But what they're bent out of shape about today is that uh, enough people didn't lose their job. Literally. Mm. That means they don't have money to spend. That means inflation starts to cool. That means the Fed starts to moderate on their interest rate posture. But in, in fact, just the opposite occurred. We had a decrease of 20,000 uh, unemployment claims from the prior week. He literally wants you to lose your job. Uh, I mean, that, that is the goal of raising these rates is to – and here's what I think is happening, the reason it's not happening. It's because if you think about how we shut down the dang economy, uh, I think irresponsibly, honestly, because of COVID, and then when we got back to work, the struggle a short year ago, year and a half ago, the employers struggling to get people to come back to work. It was everywhere you went, right? Help wanted. Everywhere. People were looking for people. Uh, employers were looking for people. And I think now, even though they probably don't need some of those people because demand has come down, they're afraid to let them go. That Gosh, if I let them go and then demand returns, I don't want to go through this again. I don't want to be in the situation I was a yeah. year ago. And who knows, with the Democrats, they start throwing money out of helicopters again. Seriously. And that's what happened. And we still have people on the sidelines, won't go to work, still living off the government. But I think employers are saying, I know it's, it's really costing, and I don't need these additional people right now, but I, I'm just going to bite the bullet and, and pay them and keep them on staff. Uh, because I don't, I don't want to have to go look for people again when the labor market changes and, and the economy improves and demand returns. So I think that's what's going on here. And, and until he sees a significant uptick in unemployment, I don't think he's going to take the foot off the pedal. Something else that needs to be considered that is not a big deal right now, you're not hearing a lot about now, folks, is that there are a whole lot of businesses and governments, governmental entities across the world that, that are sitting on debt that is terming out the debt they're on right now, the debt that they're holding right now. Terming out meaning it's coming due, and most of these small, mid-sized businesses, governments, uh, they don't have the cash to pay the principal. And they need to refinance it. 
problem is, the challenge for them is, they're going to be refinancing at significantly higher interest rates than the present debt that is applied on the present debt. So their debt service is going to increase dramatically. I've seen some analysts predict that we will see a a rash of uh, small and mid-sized businesses shudder as a result. And that's not what the banks want. They want <laughs> they don't want those businesses and whatever assets they have to collateralize that debt. They want their money back, but they won't be able to service. So banks are going to have to get really creative with a lot of this rollover debt, is what it's called, commercial paper, rollover debt. And, and as long as Powell keeps increasing rates, think about an example from a, for a household would be an adjustable rate mortgage, which has got a term on it, typically five years. And at the end of that, so you, you buy down the rate to get in the house. It's lower than the fixed market rate for like a long-term 30-year, for example, or 15-year mortgage. So you just get in there for five. You play the odds that at the end of the five years, You'll be able to refinance. Rates will not have significantly increased. And you just kind of play those odds. But folks that have these ARMs, these adjustable rate mortgages that are terming out uh, now and over the next year, they're faced with refinancing. Or there's a trigger mechanism that will automatically increase the rate after the initial term. And there's... Usually it's limited to 2%, and that may or may not keep them below market rates. But all of that is working in the economy. That's all I'm trying to say. And I apologize for getting a little into the weeds there. But nobody's talking about this now, and we're all going to be affected by this. I think over the next six months, it's going to be a rocky road, and the markets kind of know that, too, after what Powell said yesterday. Coming back with more... With middays in the Element Well Studios after the break at the top of the hour, Senator Roger Wicker. Are we gonna do this? Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk, Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Let's see here, Will. Somebody was complimenting your selection of Rush as bumper music. Yeah. Said it reminded him of JT. Yeah, JT loves some Rush. Yeah. Yeah, Andy and Jackson said that. Um, He also wanted to let us know that. JT would be pleased of the direction we took the time slot. Appreciate that, Andy. We certainly do hope so, that he's looking down and pleased with what he sees. Chris from Past Christian says on the ceasefire text line, I believe you pay off some politicians, everything becomes legal. 1990 gambling illegal in Mississippi, next year gambling is legal. 2005, legal on land, 
2018, lotteries became legal. 2021, marijuana legal. Next year, whitetail deer, excuse me, whitetail deer legal. All you need is to pay off enough politicians. I don't believe that whatsoever, Chris. I don't believe that this is not something that is so controversial. These issues that you point out, except for the white-tailed deer issue, keep in mind, as, as Ricky informed us, this is something that the commission, unelected, unelected members of a board that governs the Department of Wildlife Fisheries, the commission, they can adopt such rules to make it lawful to sell whitetail deer in Mississippi. I can personally tell you, with respect to the lottery, just because I sit on the lottery board, that there wasn't any, there wasn't any need to pay off anybody. I mean, the only people that benefited are the people that benefited the most from that, from a business perspective is the gaming vendor. And there are only three of those on the planet. And Mississippi was the 45th state to enact a lottery. That was something that people kind of wanted, don't yeah. you feel? Yeah. I, I can tell you exactly what the, the, uh, the path to enacting the lottery was. It was because it's not popular in the state of Mississippi to raise fuel taxes. That is not something that politicians were on board with doing. The votes weren't there. Governor Phil Bryant knew that. He also was a supporter, as are many in the House and Senate and across the state, of, of uh, authorizing and implementing a state lottery. And so the idea was, well, we want a lottery. We haven't been able to get that through. But... We also, we, we're not going to get through a fuel tax, but we need money for roads and bridges. Let's just use lottery proceeds for that. Maybe we'll get the sufficient votes to pass the lottery. And that's exactly what happened. That's why the first $80 million of net proceeds generated by the lottery, by the way, uh, go directly to the state highway fund. They do not pass through the capital. The legislature has absolutely no control over those funds. Yeah. By law. And the casinos, I'm a little bit too young to remember all that when that happened, but essentially it started with something very small on the water, right? Yeah. And yeah. then it just kind of expanded yeah, from there, a little as bit. things do. Yeah, a little bit. And, and um, you know, that generates about $250 million a year of, of gaming taxes, and some of that is diverted to the to the local areas where the casinos are physically located, on the coast, for example. And that, that's all in accordance with the law, but I mean, I, I understand that folks are always suspicious about how laws get passed and how much they're influenced by, by money from lobbyists and others, but in this case, that wasn't necessary for medical marijuana, for Gambling, casino gaming for a lottery. It just that's not it. And in this and in the case of the white tailed deer situation, they're not elected politicians. And the folks that likely are on that board that support this, 
They don't need any money. I can assure you. They don't. Uh, and, and so that's not what's going on here. And they're not going to be influenced. So I, unless you've got some evidence of that, Chris, honestly, I'm not on board with that. Don't believe that for one second that, for example, we have casino gaming because politicians were essentially bribed, by the way, which is illegal. Maybe, they, maybe it's not that they were bribed. Contributions were made to their campaigns, which is fully legal. Yeah, sometimes that curries favor. I don't, I don't doubt that. But that's not what's happening here. What is happening, though, in the state of Mississippi, by law, the governor has broad power to appoint lots of people on all these myriad boards and commissions we have in this state. Maybe too many, honestly. It's the way it works. Usually those go to friendly people. Coming right back with Senator Roger Wicker after the news break. And now, now. another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi in the Element Well Studios. Joining us now, Senator Roger Wicker. Thanks for joining us. Senator, how are you today, sir? Uh, I'm doing fine. Can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. We got you loud and clear. Thanks for uh, coming on. Appreciate it. You got your coat on, and here I am in shirt sleeves. (laughs) It's cold down here. Had a meeting this morning and was uh, walking out and about. Uh, Madison County meeting, in fact, talking about uh, our needs in Madison County. We entertained our our delegation, our state delegation, and also talked about uh, you and Senator Cindy Hunt-Smith. I know you guys are working for us as well in that regard. We're we're proud of the county. We we have a good problem. We got lots of growth and uh, lots of good things going on. So we we have uh, needs from an infrastructure perspective. But uh, wanted to have you on to talk to you about this this Twitter debacle with Elon Musk being at the helm now. He, of course, since day one has released a treasure trove of information that I think is fairly damning with respect to collusion, what appears to be to be collusion between uh, federal agencies and certainly individuals within those agencies. And the company itself in censoring information and possibly even even influencing our presidential election. Well, you I, absolutely, and you know, uh, in a in a race where Arizona was razor thin, uh, we didn't know for days who had won Pennsylvania and uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, yeah, I, I think what. Twitter did um, may very well have uh, influenced a percentage or two of uh, of those votes. What would the public have thought if if um, the mainstream media had been truthful and, and also if the if these uh, platforms had been had just allowed the free expression on on this truth, which is undisputed at this point. Hunter Biden, the son of the then sitting vice president of the United States, uh, was receiving 
enormous sums of money into the millions of dollars from corrupt Ukrainian leaders, from corrupt uh, government-owned companies in the People's Republic of China. And there were texts and exchanges and emails on on a, uh, a laptop that he had owned and he obviously uh, forgot to, to retrieve saying uh, how much money he had gotten and, and how much of this was going to the big guy and how much of it was going to his uncle, the, the brother of the vice president. What if that had been, well, first of all, what if that had been a Republican? What if that had been uh, um, Mike Pence, the vice president, uh, un, under President Trump, that it would have been the the first five or ten minutes of every six o'clock news program. But also, um, what we what we now know from the fact that Elon Musk uh, ha, had a, uh, some sort of a, uh, epiphany and decided to take over Twitter. What we know is that the Biden administration and the Democratic operatives actually called the people at Twitter and said, you need to stop this. And there was collusion between the Twitter folks and the uh, Democratic operatives. And in, um, in a race where you uh, you lose by half a percent in two or three states, that could have made the difference. But also it's an outrage, and not, to, not the least of which is, it's not really what you're calling about, the FBI, present and former people came forward and signed a letter saying this uh, was uh, almost certainly Russian disinformation. <laughs> and turns out it wasn't. Every single thing that's on that laptop has now been verified, and we still can't get the mainstream media. But you knew about it. I knew about it because uh, we were watching Fox News um, and, and getting the, the truth. But so many people weren't, and, and um, so, you know, what, what we've learned is Twitter was in cahoots with the top officials in the Biden administration trying to get, um, uh, or in, in the Biden campaign, trying to get Vice President Biden elected president, and they seem to have succeeded. Yeah, and, and you know, Senator, I think the New York Post is probably on the story first and maybe more aggressively, Miranda Devine there, than anybody, and then they deplatformed them. Uh, off the tool, uh, off the system, wouldn't report anything, and, and they were trying to scream to the world, "Look, this is this is uh, information that we have uh, we have proven. It, it's it's viable, accurate information. There's no question about it." And and they would not release it. They would not publish it, and that's that's a problem. And and then there's another thing they do, and and you know I'll confess. Um, I have a lot of talented staff people that do uh, that watch the Twitter for me. I don't. I don't stay on Twitter as much as some people do. But there's a thing called trending. Right. Uh, if I send something in and, and a lot of people click on it and and like it and, and send it on others, it's called trending. Uh, Twitter uh, was able to stop information like that from uh, from trending, and so. You know, uh, uh, people would wonder, uh, news columnists and opinion makers and and uh, influencers would say, you know, why, why am I not, why is this um, explosive information I'm posting on Twitter, why is nobody uh, paying attention to it? And now we learn 
that at the request of Democratic operatives in the Biden campaign, uh, they the people had made uh, a, an absolute decision to um, to rig the electronics and um, and and uh, the 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 way it's retweeted. Um, yeah, they call it de- yeah shadow banning and deamplifying is the terminology oh. they use, and then they had sort of created their own little in- internal. Um, language parlance, if you will, and, and kind of shielded, I think, uh, intended to shield at least, using these acronyms and, and, and initials and abbreviations for uh, all of this communication going back and forth. But it seems to me like, Senator, every American ought to be shaking to the core when you think about uh, uh, such a powerful organization as the FBI that is working directly with a private company really for political gain, <laughs> not, not because they were executing no, I, and discharging their function uh, from a law enforcement perspective, but purely for political gain. It, it pains me to say this, because I've got a lot of friends in the FBI um, at, at the agent level, but at the highest levels, there was corruption, huge corruption, massive, uh, and widespread um, in the leadership of the FBI, no question about it. And uh, it's something we need to to get to the bottom of. Now, uh, back during the Trump versus Biden campaign, late in the day, I was chairman of the Commerce Committee. I called a hearing on this, and um, and we had the the leaders uh, of these platforms, uh, uh, Facebook and and particularly Twitter, and I and I asked. You can go on the record. I asked Jack Dorsey, Twitter head of Twitter. Mm-hmm. If he had information uh, that the laptop was Russian disinformation, and he said he had no such information. <laughs> Again, uh, if, if it had if it had been if she had been on the other foot, and this has been had been Republicans in the hot seat, and a Democrat asking the question, that would have led NBC and CBS News that evening. Uh, but it, it's all been a matter of of the social media kingpins and decision makers and the mainstream media uh, being in the tank for uh, for the left and doing what they can to help uh, Joe Biden win a very close election. That's crazy. And, uh, and we're going to have, uh, you know, we got a, a small majority in the House of Representatives, four votes uh, for the Republicans. But it is um, a situation where the chairman of committees will now be Republicans and they will be having hearings on that. And then um, I'm I'm uh, I'm moving over to the Armed Services Committee ranking position, and, and uh, Ted Cruz, Senator from Texas, is moving into the ranking member on commerce. commerce. And he can't call a hearing. Yeah. But you can bet any time somebody from social media comes before that committee, uh, he'll be asking tough questions. And then I'm I'm uh, uh, a couple of seats. Uh, down the dais, and I will still be on the committee, and we're going to be asking the, those questions. Gotcha. You know, it's late in the day, December is half over, um, and Congress will probably be adjourned for the year on the 22nd. So there's not much time left in this year. Yeah. But you can bet uh, there'll be legislation introduced 
It'll probably come to us from the House of Representatives, and we'll see what the American people say about it. Yeah, and, and what I hope, uh, Senator, whoever ends up being the chair of Commerce, will in fact call for an investigation and have these leaders up on the Hill to continue to, to investigate further. That's what I hope. Senator? In the House... In the House, they will. I, I doubt they that. got power in the House. The Senate probably won't do it. Right. Democrat controlled. Appreciate you coming on, Senator. Good to talk to you, sir. You and yours, please Thank have you. a very happy, healthy, safe, and Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thank you so much. Coming right back on midday. Stay with us. Three. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? what? On Super Talk Mississippi. everyone to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Speaking of Twitter, they suspended the account that tracks Elon Musk's jet. Yeah, he's also stiffing some of the landlords. You seen that? Not paying some of the properties that the company rents across the country. Huh. They're not paying. I don't know what's going on. He sold a bunch of Tesla stock. I, I tell you, it's, it's a bad business move. I, I think he's enjoying the limelight and the attention of of digging underneath the covers and exposing all the activity in the company and the, the operations and the cover-ups and the censorship. I think he likes all that, but from a business perspective, bad deal. And a couple of days ago, I know I, I just made the the point that I felt like that he needed to really start focusing a bit more on Tesla or that it was going to be very difficult for him to run both companies and keep them, keep them going. And so, in fact, now it turns out a couple of board members on Tesla have said, you better get your butt back over here and run the company. Not surprising. That uh, made the business news uh, yesterday, actually. So it's just, it's hard, you know, to run two It's hard to companies. run one. Yeah, I mean, it really is. It's a corporation. You, that's right. Yeah, it is. And, you, and they're, I mean, they're so different, too. Yeah. And in the, case of, in the case of Twitter, it's broke. I mean, so you're trying to fix something that's broken as opposed to just being inserted at the helm of what was a very successful, profitable, just routine sort of business, not whatsoever. It was a, it was a company mired in controversy and not doing too well financially, economically. So it's just a, just a tough deal. But yeah, he's not paying some of the bills, and that has uh, that's actually leaked. And been verified now. Some of the bills to uh, landlords that where Twitter 
offices are housed. Yeah. Interesting. So we'll be watching that. Here we go uh, from David and Macomb. The very body charged with protecting the wildlife resource exploits it for political and financial gain. They did it with deer baiting against biologists' recommendations over CWD concerns. They've done it by lengthening seasons, even when some species are still nursing their young. In parentheses, see squirrel season versus now versus times past. Now they want their wealthy buddies to profit from selling a resource that is owned by all Mississippians. I have learned, Will, and just and just sort of um, incidental conversations that uh, apparently the wildlife folks themselves aren't on board with this. It appears, and I'm sure we'll have them on the program to discuss. So I think maybe there's could be a possible conflict setting up. We'll see. Uh, you know, I I trust Ricky. I, I am impressed with his knowledge of this area. And based on what he said uh, with our interview, on our interview with him earlier, that made sense to me. This is not something that I'm tremendously familiar with i don't think that's any secret but i did i didn't i mean i understand the concept of it but it does seem to kind of come out of the blue which he said it does and i would think that the average mississippian and the average hunter a lot of those mississippians are hunters yeah would be totally against this yeah i think they are I don't think there's any question about it that, you know, just in, since I heard about it without saying anything a couple of weeks ago, I just kind of discussed it in yeah. private circles without saying anything more than just the co- discussing the concept. Yeah, they uh, they oppose it. I haven't found anybody that says, yeah, I could get on board with that. Most of my family hunts some form or fashion. My wife hunts. Hmm. We have land. And I... I would be if you said, "All right, you need to vote for this or that." I'd be totally against this. Yeah, I, I would too. So we'll see where it goes. I, I'm sorry that it's come to this, and and like I said, I think we are <laughs> setting up for a conflict, and it could be something that uh, gets thrust into the headlines here pretty quick. And it's an interesting way of describing it as, quote, the king's deer. Yeah. Because, you know, in my brain, I think back to my childhood and Robin Hood, you know, and how Robin Hood would kill the deer and, you know, rob from the rich to give to the poor. And <laughs> Yeah. That's an interesting way of putting it, but that perfectly kind of describes it as, you know, this would be – some person who has a thousand, five thousand acres and mm-hmm. be their deer, mm-hmm. and what do you tag them? And if what happens if you get caught killing the king's deer? I don't know. I, it sounds complicated sure to me. Forest, you know? <laughs> exactly. It sure would forest. I I don't know. It sounds like a bad idea to me. And again, I my my, my trust is in Ricky and his his view on it, his position on it. It makes sense, and and I, I know him well enough to know he's he's researched this, and he's un, he understands all the angles, and all the pros and cons, and I think he's concluded this is not something we need. You know, you could make I guess you could make the argument. Well, what about cattle? Because cattle kind of are, are property, but that's different. 
right? Seems like it. I mean, you're, I don't know. How does that work? I mean, you're, you're breeding livestock yeah. specifically for food. I don't know. And then the, he mentioned the whole other side of this is if you do this, then you would have pay, people that could come and pay and essentially slaughter a deer without actually having to do the hunting part of it. Yeah. I, I, want, a, I want a big old buck on my, my, my wall. Let me go down to, That's to true. The, this place, and uh, they'll run one out in front of me, and I can just pull the trigger. It's weird. I don't even have to point the gun. It's already set up for me. I mean, what what's the... Yeah. That's not the spirit. Of it. it doesn't seem like it'd be fun, honestly. To me, it just that's that's the old shooting fish in a barrel sort of deal, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I don't see, think that'd be fun. Oh well. Back to Elon Musk. So I got to share this. A few days ago, he was having a a meeting and on Twitter Spaces. Okay. And 300, it's just like a digital public meeting. 300,000 people tuned in. See what he had to say. And right in the middle of it, he had to drop off. He said, quote, I have a Tesla meeting that I'm late for. And dropped off. So I think that a sort of abrupt departure from that spaces meeting really does substantiate what I'm saying here, which is he's trying to divide his time between these two behemoth companies, and I think it's causing a problem for it. So one of the big investors in Tesla, a a guy, um, he did he, he actually did not disclose his name. He tweeted, though, late Wednesday, that Tesla needed to buy back shares to take advantage of the low share price that Elon has created. Oh, by the way, his name is, here it is, Ross Gerber. He's a big Tesla investor. He, he, um, he tweeted, wake up, Tesla board. What is the plan? Who is running Tesla, and when is Elon coming back? Now, he actually, it is reported, supported Musk's bid for Twitter, but now he's seeing that that may not be in the best interest of his investment in Tesla. What a just bizarre deal. Musk tweeted in a reply to this uh, investor, I will make sure Tesla shareholders benefit from Twitter long term. That's what he said. We will see. It's an interesting chess match going on here. And keep in mind that the value of Tesla is like six times larger than GM and Ford combined. Yeah, but it's on thin ice. It's Yeah, it is. It's just hard to substantiate that value. The Dow down 780 as we speak, bumping out of this segment here on Middays. At 12.05 today, Jeremy England, he's a Mississippi state senator, represents District 51. He's vice chair of the Economic Development House Committee. We're coming right back.
Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. Midday, Super Talk Mississippi in the Element Well Studios. Once again, Jeremy England, Mississippi State Senator from District 51 on the program at 11.05. Eric in Philadelphia, $1 billion lost equal 20 years, no taxes. Not following you there, Eric. What, what do you mean? We will end up like Texas. Average hunter will not find a place to hunt. Yeah, I hope that doesn't happen. Is that what they have in Texas? I want to say there is something in Texas that does permit the sale of deer like this. I, I, uh, I don't know the details. I just asked that question of a couple of people that are more familiar with it than, than I, and that's, that's what I'm told. Hmm. Now, I'm, I'm not sure if this is uh, what's being discussed in Mississippi would replicate that or not. I don't know. So... I hope you got that, Paul, and Meridian, what's the hunting issue? It, it's just, um, it would be, I guess, a rule adopted, a provision adopted by the Wildlife Commission that would permit the sale of white-tailed deer, and I think the idea there is that landowners, private landowners, could erect fences to essentially lock in the deer that are there, and they could also deposit that's what I'm told. They would bring in deer for the purpose of breeding to create more, I don't know, whatever they're trying to do in breeding the deer with the species. And, you know, much like, I guess, dogs and horses and other animals that are, that are traded, you know, yeah. or bred. And then perhaps relocate them for hunting and reproducing elsewhere. I, it, I, my understanding is it's it's commerce. It's some sort of business. Uh, but erecting these high fences to the extent that that's legal and, and such that they lock in the existing deer, I think is perhaps at the heart of the controversy. So, um yeah, so uh, on the ceasefire text line, also Carolyn Starkville says Kathy O'Brien's book talks about how corrupt the government has been for years. No wonder they are working with the cartel, House Department, corrupt leaders in high places. I, you know, Carol, I got to tell you, I honestly believe that what we're seeing unfolding at Twitter is a, a stronger reflection a more accurate reflection of where the the corruption exists in government. I think it's down at the agency level. I've said this before. Uh, Donald Trump was uh, kind of popularized that with the drain the swamp refrain, and that's what he was talking about more than anything. He wasn't so much talking about the elected officials in the Congress as much as he was the bureaucrats. And I think he was right. I mean, we saw that with the um, the Strzok situation. We saw that with folks that worked for the Hillary Clinton campaign, as an example. We, we're now seeing James Comey at the FBI, who could forget that, who clearly was working against candidate Trump, and then also as the president. 
Now we're seeing that there are folks in the FBI that were working with Twitter to censor content. Yeah, I think that's where the, the biggest problem is. We've conferred too much power to the agencies, agency leadership, agency management that just seems to, uh, seems to operate w- without oversight from the Congress. That's what the, the case that went to the Supreme Court, EPA, West Virginia, that's what that was all about. And their political appointees, keep that in mind. Yeah, exactly. You know, when a new president gets elected and he's of a different party, you see this mass, you know, exodus of top officials so they can bring in their people. Yeah, exactly. And and so there, there's no doubt there's back-scratching, quid pro quo and sort of stuff that goes on there. But when I'll say this, when the Democrats talk about the, uh, the, the Dobbs case, effectively nullifying Roe v. Wade and sending that back to the states, the other thing they point to, of course, is voting rights. And they, they like to characterize that, those issues as the end of democracy. The end of democracy, in my view, is when you've got functions, components of government, agencies of government, that are colluding with the private sector, again, for political gain, as we are witnessing here that occurred with, with Twitter and folks in government. I mean, like, Twitter was... In some cases, some of these emails now reveal and and other documents that Musk has exposed that they would seek counsel from government. Hey, do you guys think it's okay (laughs) if we publish this content? And it really doesn't have to be a social media platform. It would be any situation where there's a private organization that is is colluding like that for political purposes. Now, that's a little different than, let's say, um, a company that Boeing that produces aircraft for the military. Well, of course they're combining efforts and working together and 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 coordinating communication constantly, tightly, to produce in accordance with some contract they have with the government, weapons of war. As, that's just an example. There are other examples. Well, that's not collusion for political gain. This was strictly, we want you to censor that content because the person who we want to get elected might be negatively impacted by that. That's different. I mean, imagine if, you know, this had happened 50 years ago and they were talking with Walter Cronkite and they are saying, look, Mr. Cronkite, we want to get our guy in there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this whole Watergate thing, just don't, just don't talk about it, okay? And this wouldn't be an issue, Will, if we could, in fact, rely on the tr- more traditional mainstream media platforms to do their job and report the news. And I think that, I mean, think prior to Twitter, but if they would report the news like they're supposed to. They're supposed to be the watchdog. It, hell, even the Washington Post, their slogan is, democracy dies in darkness. Well, you're the one that's turning the lights out all the time. By the way, have you seen this, uh, it reminded me, have you seen this video going viral where 
I think it's the publisher of the Washington Post, yes. is having a meeting with a team telling them about layoffs? Yes. Because business ain't too good. I, I, I don't think Americans are paying attention enough to what is about to happen in this country. And while I think these employers are trying to hang on to their their staff as, as long as they can, because they don't want to go back to the market when things improve and try to hire people again, so hard to get them off the couch in the last two years, I, I really do think we're facing some serious headwinds. And I'm not trying to doom and gloom here, but Powell said it, and the investment community didn't believe him. Now they do. They're selling off today down 825. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't touch 1,000 down today. Now, it's one day. I get it. But what is going to trigger uh, the investors to reinvest, to get jump back in? Well, we're not going to hear anything from Powell for another month or so. We will get more CPI reports, the PPI reports. So we'll, you know, that will be. But see, the problem now is we had a positive CPI report, but Powell didn't react the way investors thought. He did in terms of the 50 basis point hike yesterday, but he he said yesterday, yeah, even though we got this one positive <laughs> CPI report, we got a long way to go. Ongoing. Yeah, ongoing. That was the key word that just threw it into a tailspin. Ongoing. Down. Ongoing. (laughs) Oh, gosh. But getting back to your your point about the media, um, which, by the way, the New York Times is also struggling a bit. They sure are. Letting people go. They've been so driven by clicks, and when Twitter... During that whole Hunter Biden New York Post story, when they deplatformed the New York Post, I think that sent a, a shockwave through the media industry, saying, "You know what? We better do what they say, right? Because otherwise, they might deplatform us. That's so we're true. not we're not going to report this story. Oh, we're going to call it conspiracy. We're going to call it a conspiracy theory and just you know ignore it basically. And that's what you're seeing them with this whole." The Twitter files thing. They're not reporting on it. You go to CNN.com and search it, you're not going to find it. They're not it. saying a word about it. No. I agree. I know. And I think you're right. That So how great is that, right? We've got our, our media organizations, widely consumed media platforms, are acting based on their fear of government. That's fascism. That's the, what that is. The old saying, who watches the watchman? Exactly. It's a good good way to put it. I totally agree. Foreigner bumping us out of this segment here on Middays coming back. Again, we gotta talk about the government running out of money when we return and then Senator Jeremy England after the news break at the top of the hour. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi.
Welcome back, everyone. Tom Sawyer by Rush. I think I told you, you know, I'm a an aspiring amateur drummer, and uh, I like to watch these these young uh, prodigies that play the drums that record. They have YouTube channels and they record their covers. And there's one little guy out there that's I don't think he's 10 years old. And uh, he does a cover to Tom Sawyer, which is a really hard song to play on the drums. And of course, Neil Peart, some believe, is the greatest rock drummer, certainly, of all time. And I can see where they would conclude that he was, or is, very talented. So, anyhow, um, you should go, yeah, I'm sorry, he was, correct. Uh, Passed away not so long ago, right? Neil Peart, unbelievable, unbelievably talented. It's sort of sad when you think about it, because... Of course, uh, John Bonham, Led Zeppelin, also incredible, incredible drummer. So, wow, really, really miss those two guys behind the drums. So, Thomas and Greenwood, what the heck is this, Thomas? Donald J. Trump, is this on his Truth Social site? He's got trading cards? Yes. CollectTrumpCards.com. Yes. Trump yes. Oh, he, uh, he teased a big, he had, a, you know, one of those... Huge announcement! Huge announcements! Unbelievable! And, you know, a lot of people speculated when he said that he had this big announcement that he was going to make was that he was going to drop out. Oh wow! Uh, because things aren't going well for him on the presidential run. But actually, the big announcement that he had was that he has these Trump uh, <laughs> NFT Superman <laughs> trading cards. I'm at it. <laughs> of course, the NFTs. I, I'm I. I think that I'm a smart person. I'm obviously not because I cannot understand them to save my life. <laughs> but uh, he is selling them at 99 bucks each well, to raise money. It's like buying air, so you don't <laughs> you don't need to know anything more than that. Get your cards now. 99 dollars <laughs> each would make a great Christmas gift. Don't wait; they'll be gone. Oh gosh! Go to collecttrumpcards.com. Wow. You want to have some fun? Try Wipeout, says Kyle. Well, of course, every aspiring drummer learned to play the drum solo on Wipeout. I can still do that one, but you're worn slap out after you play it. <laughs> I will say this, but yeah, for hours I tried to to perfect that as a child. That was kind of the that was kind of the pinnacle. Did you listen to the interview with Chad Cromwell the other day on Steve Azar? I did. Oh, I did. I so caught a that, little bit of it. That yeah, guy, the drummer. Yeah. I I didn't know his name, but if you've listened to music in you've the past heard his drums. 30 years, you've heard his drums. No doubt. Rockin' in the Free World by Neil Young. That's yes. him. Yes. Uh it just a, a slew of country and rock songs, but him talking about getting into drums, it was just a complete accident. A, a neighbor of his got a um I think it was a J.C. Penny drum set one <laughs> Christmas, and he yep. picked them up. How about that? Yeah. Well, I cut yards to buy a used set for seventy-five bucks, and uh, it it had a hi hat and had one symbol, and the symbol was cracked. <laughs> That's all I could afford, seventy-five bucks. <laughs> a Remo set, which really is kind of lower end uh, quality. But then I finally did get a Rogers set. Worked a long time for that, and my dad I think chipped in a little bit as well. I was like fourteen or fifteen, and uh, and they're still around. But Danny Serafin at Chicago is one of my favorite drummers, and he was playing Rogers drums at the time, and yeah. that's kind of inspired me. My brother was into drumming, and when he was really young, they got him a nice snare drum, 
And uh, that lasted for about 10 minutes <laughs> when my mom said, no more. <laughs> no more, no more. I got it. So on the ceasefire text line, this uh, – here we go. Here, uh, I did the re- – okay, hold on a second. Let me back up. Our, um, our politicians uh, – let's see, what are you saying here? Budget. Looking for a budget, yeah. So much spending pork, kicked back to lobbyists, see the mayor of Jackson in the continuing resolution because the budget has marks ups and debate. A budget is required, but this is not. Yeah, so there's actually not a requirement to have a budget. And I know this listener and I are kind of going back and forth, but I'll admit I already knew the answer. I asked a question which was rhetorical. Article 1 of the Constitution does not specify nor require uh, a budget. However, Section 8 does, in fact, lay out the power of Congress, which includes uh, the power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises, provided duties, imposts, and excises are uniform throughout the U.S., so it, 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 it really enumerates the powers that the Congress has, but there's nowhere in the Article One of the Constitution where it says the Congress will pass a budget, adopt a budget on an annual basis. That would have already been tested, I can assure you, and headed to the Supreme Court. That's actually not there, but yeah, the way we do conduct our financial affairs in this country is a bit deplorable, though. We got Senator Jeremy England coming on the program after the break. Stay with us. And now, now. the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone midday super talk mississippi we are rocking into hour three of the program on this friday eve a rather chilly one across the state of mississippi joining us now mississippi state senator jeremy england he represents a district 51 he's the vice chair is this right jeremy welcome by the way are you vice chair of economic development well, I was. Okay. Uh, I, I was uh, promoted, uh, according to Lieutenant Governor's staff, to uh, Vice Chair of Judd B. Okay. You went from uh, economic development to Judd B. You know, being the businessman that I am, I would argue the economic development is actually more important. But, <laughs> but I know Judd B. I don't think you got wrong. a lot more, probably power, maybe just issues to deal with. Let's put it that way. And and thus well, there's a lot lot more bills. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, you're right. In fact, on economic development, we really just want you guys to just be the Maytag repairman and just stay the hell out of the way. And I know you would agree with that as well. Don't pass any dang laws, will you? So, but we appreciate you joining us. Uh, It's been a while since we talked, and uh, we discussed it earlier on the program. We're inside a month. You will be returning to the the dome, <laughs> underneath the dome there, taking care of the people's business. 
It's hard to believe. It seems like we were just breaking down the 2022 session not so long ago, and I guess we were, but uh, it seems like a rather short break, and here we go. It's time to get back to Jackson and start this thing all over again. Plus, it is an election year as well, and that always makes for interesting times uh, in the legislature. What, uh, what do you see? What, what sort of bills are you thinking about? What are your priorities? What are you hearing from leadership, the conference, et cetera? Go ahead. Yeah, thanks, Gerard. And yeah, look, it, it uh, snuck up on us pretty quick here to um, head back to Jackson for sure. It's been a crazy three years, and now we're heading into the fourth year of the, of the term. Um, uh, looking ahead, I would say what's important for me is what we were talking about a minute ago, economic development, uh, workforce development in particular. Uh, I want to see us grow and expand our, our career coaches in Mississippi. I know that's one of the governor's priorities. Uh, it's something we were able to do last year in the legislature. We allotted uh, $8 million for that program. Uh, the governor asked us to bump that to 16, and I'd like to see us do that. I'm, we're seeing things in Jackson County. We have career coaches, uh, and you, your listeners, and, and you can look it up online. It's the P3 program offered through the Jackson County Economic Development Foundation, uh, and they team with United Way and with our Jackson County Chamber. And, and these individuals, they're not uh, they're not MDE employees, uh, but they're in our schools. They're going and they're talking to students that, that may have a hard time, may come from a different uh, challenging background. Uh, it may be the students that just completely don't like school. So they don't like being told, you know, what are you going to do next? What, 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 how are you going to continue your education? Um, and instead, these folks will go in and, and tell them about programs we have with our community colleges or with our uh, different employers like Chevron and Ingalls here in Jackson County and get them to work. And yeah. I, that's been something that's been very impressive to me. And I really like that program here. Hmm. Good. Well, uh, you know, it's, every employer out there is saying we need people. We can't find enough people, and when we can find people, they don't possess the skills, the requisite skills that are even employable by them. And it, it is uh, it's clearly an impediment to grow in the economy of, of our state. It is an impediment in every state. And now we're seeing, you know, some degree of competition for labor, uh, which is a good thing if you're out there looking for work. But as an employer, right. it uh, it just makes uh, life more difficult than and uh, you probably anticipated. Not so long ago, that situation was totally different. So, uh, and I think the state has taken a lot of action to uh, to try to rectify that situation and improve the the overall readiness and quality of our workforce. I think we've seen that play out. We've had some economic wins and some success there from a project's perspective, and it's a direct result of that. That's right. That's right. I mean, we're seeing it, you know, the Golden Triangle. Joe Max was on with uh, with Paul Gallo just yesterday, I believe, yep. uh, out of the Golden Triangle area, and he mentioned one thing that's also important. They're looking to bring a, a daycare center in there. Uh, because we, we, you know, child care for a lot of these folks is something that keeps them from being able to move into a, a new job. And and to translate that down here to where what we see in Jackson County, uh, you have Ingalls Shipbuilding uh, saw a huge decrease in their women in the workforce. And and look, from talking with the folks at Ingalls, they love women working in the shipyard because women are very detail oriented. <laughs> they want to get out there and they, they, they find problems. Uh, uh, you know, they, they look to what needs to be done. And a lot of these folks, uh, maybe single mothers, 
or may have jobs where they can't go in and train. And you mentioned, uh, you know, being competitive to attract a workforce. Another part of that that we're seeing employers do here in Mississippi is pay people while they're training. And for students in high school and for people that may be working in jobs that don't pay as much, for them to hear that, you know, we, we'll bring you in, we'll put you in an apprentice program or in a classroom at the community college. You're going to learn what to do and we're going to pay you while you do it. I mean, that's that's a big deal and it's going to help us here in Mississippi and help our employers find uh, great people to go to work for. It's a function of a tight labor market. This is the way the market works. This is the way it should work. When when they're, I mean, that's right. la- labor is in effect a commodity and, and so, you, you know, folks that work, you're selling your labor in essence and when the market uh, competes for those services, they get creative and that's what we're witnessing. So it's in its a win-win deal. Glad to see that project uh, taken off here in the state of Mississippi. Joe Max, fantastic uh, effort there to secure that big win. Right. We, we, and we got projects, as you know, Senator, going on across uh, across the state. We've got lots of good economic development folks in, involved in that. And, and the governor has made that a top priority, and I think he's tooting the horn, and we got a good story to tell. We just got to tell it more. And when we do, it resonates uh, with these organizations, and they make decisions to come into Mississippi. Some of that, I think, is a result of the success we had with tax reform last year. You, th- you think anything's on the table coming up in the next session? The lieutenant governor seems to be supportive of the idea of just kind of a one-time rebate. What do you think about that? Yeah, so I put a lot of thought into that, Gerard. I know that's one of the lieutenant governor's um, big items that he wants to see this year. And and the more I think about it, and I told Lieutenant Governor this, I'm in favor of that. Uh, and the reason being, you know, we have a large amount of, of revenue that we're seeing right now, uh, whether it's coming from, uh, you know, one-time money that the federal government put into the system and sent people checks or, or whatever. We're, we have, I think, $1.5 billion or, or somewhere close to that over what we we're expecting in revenue. And there's two things the government can do with that. We can give some of that money back to the people of Mississippi, the taxpayers, I'm sorry, I should say the taxpayers of Mississippi yep. and allow them to um, to spend that money or we can grow government and we can do more things uh, through the government. And I'm not a fan of, of, of growing the government. I've, all, I've said since we, we saw COVID come in and really uh, require the government to kind of expand in some areas to deal and address with that issue uh, across the country, we really need to see the government you know, contract again and not, you know, get get away from where we expanded because in other times in our country's history, in our state's history, when the government expands, it rarely ever goes back into the, the boundaries that it had before. And I think this is a good idea to keep us from from expanding. We'll, we'll give them, them some money back to the people and let them spend it. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Appreciate you weighing in on that. What, uh, what yeah. are some of the other big issues you think will be taken up in this session, and I'll start with this one and get your take on it. Senator, is is the citizen-initiated ballot measure process? You know, we don't have one right now based on the Supreme Court's ruling. We couldn't get the House and the Senate to agree on a bill last year. It, anything that uh, any change made would amend the Constitution in that regard, and thus it has to go to the people to vote on at a statewide ballot. That's coming up in November next year. Be good time, and what do you think? Yeah, look, I think we need a, a statewide ballot initiative, and I hope we do see that move. I'm not sure that we will, um, but you know, legislation for legislation to to come out right, it, it takes a lot of debate and a lot of time to look at it. I think the system that we had was flawed. 
I think what we were going to start to see with our old initiative system was a lot of people coming in from out of state, dumping a lot of money in an issue, uh, changing public sentiment how they wanted it based on the narrative that they were given, and then having that um, that law or, or that new program go directly into our state's constitution. Yeah, and that's a that's a system that that worried me. Uh, so I think that you know I, I've I've heard a lot of good things uh, coming from this. Um, and I think we will see something. I'm not sure if we'll see something pass, but but if it doesn't, look, we're working on it. Okay. We know it's one of our one of our things we've got to do. Okay. Well, it might be a bit of a calm year. Uh, we're about out of time here. Might might be kind of a muted year just because we've got uh, elections coming up. Sometimes that's the way it works out. But hopefully we'll we'll get some good stuff uh, coming up this year. Appreciate you coming on, Senator. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Gerard. Merry Christmas to you and your family and your listeners. Same to you, and sure am sorry about the passing of Coach Leach, my friend. Oh, so sad. Such a sad week for Bulldogs and Mississippians. It really was. All right. Appreciate it, Jeremy. We'll uh, take a break right here. Coming right back on Middays in the Element Well Studios. That keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now, onto the real part. Dynamite! On Super Talk Mississippi. Def Leppard photograph. I told you I saw them perform live with uh, Journey with a one-armed drummer. Incredible. Yep, I saw them open for Kiss. Wow. Def Leppard is opening for your band. You know that the big the headliner is a big band and it was Kiss. Wow. And as great as Def Leppard was, I still say to this and I've seen a lot of concerts. I worked in music radio for many many years went to a lot of uh concerts over the years and i've seen a lot of big acts but right. none of them came close to kiss and that night i mean def leppard was great they did the one-armed drum solo it's unbelievable but man kiss blew them out of the water How about and I'm that? Not, i don't even like kisses i mean i'm not a huge i know three of their songs but they're they're consummate performers i mean that's oh, that's what the, they're it's I all mean, about it's commercialized performers from the get-go, from the this the moment the you know Def Leppard got off stage until the moment uh, it was time to leave, it was just con- like how did they do that? I know when the fifty-foot Gene Simmons comes running out there, <laughs> spitting blood everywhere, and they're shooting. And we had bad. We were at the Bridgestone Arena in Nashville, and we had. I, it was a friend of mine who just gave me tickets. I, I didn't buy tickets to it. They weren't given to me by a concert promoter or anything. It was just a friend of mine who had an extra ticket, and I went. And we they were bad seats. They were at the very back. And I still <laughs> felt the heat on my face from the flamethrowers that they had. The fl- I mean, <laughs> flame who brings throwers. flamethrowers? They did. Kiss does. He, uh, you know, he used to have a program 
and I can't remember the name of it, that used to air on one of the yeah. more obscure channels. I, I remember it, yeah. And it was in his house. You know, it was kind of featured, a, it chronicled him and his, his family. Playboy model wife yeah. or girlfriend yeah, or yeah, she was. Yeah, she was, yeah, she was a, uh, an actress and kind of did what they called, it was risque, I'll just yeah. put it that way. Um and I can't remember her name, but yeah, she's gorgeous and had the, the two kids, Sophie, and I can't remember the yeah. other one's name. But. He's a fast. Gene Simmons, a fascinating guy. By the way, a lot of people don't know this. That's not his real name. He actually took the name Gene Simmons from a Mississippian. <laughs> really? Jump. If, if you're from the Tupelo area, you probably remember Jumpin' Gene Simmons, oh. who was a big act back in the '50s. He had a he had one hit called "A Haunted House." It was kind of a novelty song. Uh, and he was, you know, that rockabilly era, and yeah. he lived in two. I met him one time. My, my grandfather was friends with him, and his name was Jumpin' Gene Simmons, and Gene Simmons of KISS was such a big fan <laughs> that he took that name as his stage name when they came up. And uh, But anyway, Gene Simmons, fascinating guy. No he's idea. a businessman above a rocker. Oh, he's a capitalist, man. If there Big ever time. was one, he was a capitalist. Always scheming ways to make money off everything. That's awesome. I've I've heard that he's trademarked a yes. lot of terms yes. that you use every day. OJ, as in orange juice, he, tra- he trademarked How that he term. That? That's and he weird. did it he did it when, when OJ Simpson went on the famous Bronco <laughs> ride. He, was he knew that was going to be a big story. Oh. So he went and got his lawyers to trademark the term OJ. So that he would get a little bit, I don't know how all that works, but he gets a little bit of money every time somebody uses the word oh, OJ. wow. That's something. His, uh, by the way, it, it hit me, Shannon Tweed. That's his wife's name. And his uh, children. I remember the, the daughter, Sophie. Nick. I should remember that's my son's name. Yeah. Nick Simmons. And I remember one of the episodes, Nick was an aspiring musician, and he had a band of you know, the 16-, 17-year-old typical high school band, and they were looking for a name. So he went to uh, Gene, his father, to <laughs> consult with him on the name, and he recommended – now, this is 15 or so-plus years ago. He recommended Engine, like search engine, because we were all starting to use search. I mean, it just that's, immediately that's the came way his up brain works. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Engine. the product, they, they were more McDonald's than they were Led Zeppelin. That's I mean, true. you think about it. That's true. All this, they put out a coffin. They had a <laughs> a Kiss coffin that you could buy. for, And I remember seeing it in magazines and stuff. It was like $5,000. And it had Kiss on there. And it was, it was they were selling it. <laughs> yeah, he just uh, always scheming stuff, but made a bunch of money doing their, it. Their biggest hit, a lot of people don't know this, but their biggest hit was not like rock and roll all night and party, yeah. not one of those songs. Their biggest hit was I Was Made for Loving You, Baby. It was a disco song because disco in yeah. the late 70s, you know, hit really big. And Kiss was so smart, they decided, hey, let's put out a disco song. <laughs> well, I had, you'll love this, I had a roommate, actually, it wasn't a roommate uh, in college. He lived in the door in the, in the room next to me in the fraternity house, and he was a Kiss nut. And this was back. When uh, quadraphonic, yeah. Instead of stereos, you had quadraphonic. Now, it was still stereo. You just had four speakers. You know, <laughs> it didn't record in four channels. That hadn't been invented yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and he had the four uh, speakers. He had them in the corners, in each of the corners, right? 
And he literally had like made himself little clothing articles and great wigs and crazy stuff. And he would turn that dang kiss music on on that quadraphonic as loud as it could go. And I would say, I would go in there to get him to turn it down, and I swear I'd open the door. He'd be on the coffee table, <laughs> air guitar. Yeah. <laughs> and I guarantee you, he wasn't the only one doing that back in that it time period. A, you know, uh, <laughs> th- it's an interesting story, but Kiss came about because of a failed Johnny Carson album. Oh, okay. Didn't they know that. did a Johnny Car the 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 little record label that represented Kiss did a uh, Johnny Carson album where he didn't tell jokes he just talked yeah. and it wasn't very good and it didn't sell and they were going bankrupt and so Kiss was getting ready to do their next album they had no money to do the next album and so they said look we're just going to record you playing live we can't we can't afford studio time we're going to record you playing live because that's all the money that we have because this Johnny Carson <laughs> album tanked. And that's what they did, and that was no Kiss idea. Alive, and that was their big smash hit. Well, and he, of course, um, is Jewish. He's a Jewish descendant. He was born in Israel. Yeah, born in Israel. And uh, on the program, I remember he would f- feature him talking to his mother sometimes, who he had a great relationship with, a little Jewish lady. You know, yeah. It was pretty cool. By the way, I see several other people. Are, are familiar with the the beauty of his wife as well. They all chimed in and told me the name. I just yeah. flipped back. <laughs> Shannon Tweed. Yeah, incredible. Uh, let's see. Uh, Mose says on the C Spire text line, our quad system in the day had Bose 901s and 501 surround sound. Man. Wow. That's way advanced compared to what I remember in 1977. <laughs> so, wow. That's pretty cool. That's amazing how all that technology has advanced uh, since then. And the movie Kiss meets Phantom in the Park, it was actually not terrible. It, so the story behind that was Star Wars had just come out. And Kiss, being the capitalist that they are, decided, hey, we're going to make a movie that combines us, Kiss, a rock band, and Star Wars. And again, they had no budget for this, so they put together this movie that I've seen bits and pieces of it over the years. Uh <laughs> It's no Star Wars. Unbelievable. Stephen Gulfport says, I saw Def Leppard back in 84, Pyromania Tour, Biloxi Coliseum. That's really cool. One of the best-selling albums of all time that never hit number one. You know why? What's that? Because Michael Jackson came out with Thriller. The oh, same. yeah. 83 or 84, something, something like that. that. Yeah. Forgot all about that. Yeah, that was big time yeah. with, uh, with Vincent Price. It's doing Bryce. the uh, remember that yeah the narration on the video one of the great music videos of all time no doubt about it yeah how about that in y'all's neighborhood <laughs> well Ben from Madison says I've said it I've said before and I keep saying if the, if the legislator in legislature increases the signature requirement they are guaranteeing the only initiatives that will appear on the ballot will be the ones backed by big out-of-state money they need to trust voters of Mississippi and allow grassroots organizations access to the ballot and what Ben's talking about there of course is that the house passed a measure and sent it to the Senate and they wanted to increase the number of signatures required to certify the measure 
with the Secretary of State to place it on the ballot. A significant gap, as I recall. Today, I think it's 20,000 or so signatures would be the difference. And the House just wanted to keep the old requirement in place, which I believe is 12% of the ballots cast in the most recent gubernatorial election. And the Senate had a higher bar on that, and they couldn't get together, and they signed died and we didn't get a bill, which we could have put on the ballot this past November because we had statewide elections electing uh, our members of the House of Representatives, the U.S. House of Representatives. We had elections in every county, so we could have done that. But we'll see. I, I agree with you, Ben. I'd, I'd like to see that uh, become a reality and be enacted into law as well. We're going to keep finding out more from members of our legislature. We ask that everybody comes on. I ask them about that. Because I consider it unfinished business from the last session. Coming right back here with half an hour remaining on middays in the Element Wealth Studios. Bring it on! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on! On Super Talk Mississippi. Classic Van Halen bumping us into this segment here on Middays. Today on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, you'll hear an interview with actor Richard Burgey, who has starred in shows like Desperate Housewives, The Young and the Restless, General Hospital, and many more. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by VisitMississippi.org. You can hear the show each Thursday and Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. on most Super Talk Mississippi stations, supertalk.fm, and available everywhere you listen to podcasts. And speaking of drummers, yeah. Richard Berge's brother is the drummer for Billy Joel. Wow. Yep. How about that? Yep. Did Played with not. him for since, uh, I'm trying to look it up, since... I guess the early 80s, so when Billy Joel entered his uh, doo-wop phase, yeah. you know, that he yeah. had for a while. He also, I'm reading this, he also uh, uh, was the drummer for Blue Oyster Cult huh. um, in the 90s, Meatloaf in the 80s, and Hall and & Oates. Hmm. How about that? 1980. Wow. You know what that suggests to me? is there just ain't enough of those guys to go around. And, uh, yeah. you know, they, they get picked up and inserted on uh, lots of studio work, lots of sometimes touring work as well, because they're just, we don't have enough of them. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. you got those studio people who that's all they want to do is just do the studio work. They don't want to play live. Then you got the live musicians who just want to play live and do some studio work. But, yeah, yeah. I, I, you see uh, drummers jump around a lot. One of my favorite that I try as I might to replicate, but I, I simply couldn't do it, was uh, Jeff Porcaro from Toto, who I believe passed away a fairly long time ago. Incredible. He died, yeah, he died of a uh, – you ever seen the movie This is Spinal Tap? Yeah. Uh, they make a reference to it. He died in a bizarre gardening incident. He uh, was – Doing some hmm. gardening and uh, put out some poison and, and ingested the poison or something like 19, that. Nineteen. Uh, let's see. Died in nineteen ninety two. Isn't that how he died? 
I don't know. It says a. I'm looking at uh, an account now. Bio, age 38. Died in 1992. Wow. Yeah, he died at Humana Hospital. Yeah, spraying insecticide. The age of 38. Yeah. Yes, while spraying insecticide. So if you ever see the movie This Is Spinal Tap, when they say, you know, they're talking about all the drummers that passed away. They say he died in a bizarre gardening incident. They're talking about Jeff uh, Picaro of Toto. Wow. Said also said, however, he had coronary artery disease caused by cocaine use. Ooh. That was kind of the era for that. His um. By the way, his brother was the bassist in Toto. What a pair. They were talented. And I think I read a story where their dad tried to persuade both of them not to be musicians. <laughs> you never succeed at this, son. Don't do it. But he, if you 99% ever, of the time, the dad is right. right. Yeah, that's true. Um, this case wasn't. Uh, Travis and Wesson says, are there not already some high-fence deer pens throughout the state in Mississippi? I'm under uh, the understanding that there are, and so, again, I'm not sure if what's at stake here, what's being debated or considered is just the ability to erect these fences, or if it's more what we discussed with Ricky, the authorizing the sale of white-tailed deer. So, but it would seem that you need the fences to to keep them pinned up if you're going to breed them. I mean, it's something I don't know anything about, but I think that it kind of works hand-in-hand. And it does appear, as as Ricky said, it's kind of a sport of kings. I I can't imagine that, you know, an average person or a hunter out there would have the the property and the financial means to to launch a deer breeding business, if that's the case. So uh, someone here on the C Spire text line said that I can find it. The JT referred to them as Franken deer when you start breeding them and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that that makes sense. But you know, kind of have mixed feelings about that. If if maybe if in breeding you're combating disease or other sorts of deficiencies, I don't know. Again, I'm I'm and talking a little bit been, out of my league here. It hasn't so. officially been put out. It's just like one of these rumors that's cropped that's up. That's exactly hey, right. People are looking at this. That's exactly right. So. We'll we'll keep an eye on it though, no doubt about about that. Uh, also on the yeah, Jimbo says I saw Kiss in 1978 in Biloxi, my 13th birthday in the '84 wow. Def Leppard show. That is is awesome, as well. Did you know Eddie Van, Keith and Baden? Did you know Eddie Van Halen played the guitar in Michael Jackson's song "Beat It"? Yep. I think I was aware that he played a riff in there. And play the guitar, and there is an it's incredible guitar work. It was a bit of a departure from the typical Michael yeah. Jackson type uh, music. Stanley says on the ceasefire text line, "Just my opinion, but I think Anton Fig is the best drummer in present day." Yeah, um, I, notable, uh, no doubt about it uh, that he is. You know, also if you watch. Um, what's his name? John Bonham's son. Mm-hmm. Incredible as as well, no doubt about it. Uh, he, and he and he seems like he plays very similar style to his dad, Jason Bonham, I believe. Jason, yeah, I think that's right. So, 
Who is Anton playing with these days, Stanley? Who he he is? Um, he was always with uh, Paul Schaefer. The uh, that's right. With uh, David Letterman's band. So that's right. He played a lot, and he played in front of a lot of people, just in a different way than most other drummers do. Said he started playing at four. Most of them do. He was drummer on Ace Frehley's 1978 solo album. Became a member of the then X Kiss lead guitar solo project, Ace Frehley's Comet. Who was the guitarist, of course. So, yeah, no doubt, all good. Plays mostly with Bonamassa. Not sure who that is, says Stanley. Interesting. Drummer Danny Carey is top these days, says Robert Clinton. Not sure who that is, but I, tr- I trust you on that. Sounds like these guys are trying to get some of their money back for having these farms. There are high fences, but not as an outfitter where you pay. I'm not following you where you pay to hunt. Interesting. No love for Tommy Lee, says Thomas in Greenwood. Tommy Lee was. Yeah. He is you know, one of the best of all time. He used to do that thing where they would put him into this contraption. Yeah. And they would spin it. You know, the yeah, that's right. And he would play the entire time. I remember. Neil Pert, number one. A lot of people do think that. You know, I. Of course, me being the big Journey fan, it's Dean Castronovo, who's the present drummer, and man, that guy's got some super fast hands. Good grief. He's just strong. He's a strong dude, plays a double bass, and he absolutely just pounds the drums. Mm-hmm. He's so strong. Incredible. Uh, the, the drummer for Whitesnake was from Pearl. Whitesnake? The drummer for Black Oak, Arkansas was from Pearl. I do remember that. A guy named uh, Aldridge. I want to say it was his name. I looked that up. I didn't know that. Um, Black Oak, Arkansas, because he was one of the first on the scene with a double bass set. I remember that when I was in, like, middle school and was uh, idolized him playing the double bass. You see that? Tommy Aldridge, I think. Tommy Aldridge. Yeah. Yeah. From White Oak, Arkansas. Black Oak, Arkansas, excuse me. Wasn't that the name of the band? You see that? Black Oak, Arkansas. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Double bass. Had a Jim, was it the song Jim Dandy? Was that the song that they had that was Seems a hit? Seems like it, yeah. I think it was Jim Dandy. Did he move from them to White State? Yes, he did. Okay, well, there you go. I did not know well, that. Well, I'm so old, I didn't know that. Day. I only knew him from Black Oak, Arkansas. But if you see any photos, do you see him with a double bass? Which is Man, played with Ozzy Osbourne. Oh, wow. Incredible. Wow. Ted Nugent. Wow. Yeah. Mike Portnoy, but you're right, Gerard. Dean is a good, is good too, and a good singer. Yeah, yes, that says Dan in Hattiesburg. Appreciate that. Yeah, uh, and you know, in my, my, uh, my, my like of of and respect for Dean as a drummer is not just because he's in Journey. I know everybody knows that's my favorite deal, but he just is, he's just amazingly fast, and I just I like that style. He's fast. He's hard. He's solid. Not as jazzy like Picaro and Toto. He's a little bit more jazzier, kind of more more hi hat and cymbals and paradiddles. And Dean is just pounding. Uh, and I I just like that style, you know. What was uh somebody talked about Rolling Stones? Who was that guy? Charlie. He just passed away not too long ago, right? Yeah. <sighs> not uh you know just perfect for Rolling Charlie Stones. Watts. Charlie Watts. Yeah. Perfect for the Rolling Stones musical style and. But, I mean, you don't watch him and say, wow, that's an amazing kind of drum. But it's perfect for Perez may argue with well, you on I, that I one. know. He actually does like I He loves. Feel, I know he does. I feel the same way about Ringo. 
You know, but I've seen some some folks who are like analysts of drummers break down Ringo and talk about his brilliance, but it's it just seems kind of simple to me, but you know, relative. But of course in those days you didn't have double basses with 14 cymbals around <laughs> 82 tom sizes and stuff like that. We are just all over the map here talking about drumming. In the next segment, I am going to just visit a little bit about how the government is going to keep paying its bills. It's crazy. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live on Super Talk Mississippi. Final segment. I think we were on the air there, weren't we? I couldn't hear it. You push a button. I think I had the wrong button pushed. <laughs> okay. I'm not in here every day. <laughs> I know. We uh, are going to be down in Hattiesburg tomorrow, middays uh, with moi, along with Super Talk Eagle Hour, live at the Midtown Corner Market Food Store in Hattiesburg. Super Talk Mississippi is collecting toys and canned food items. For Homes of Hope for Children, all the toys and canned food will be distributed to the kids at Homes for Hope following the event. So join us in making sure these kids have a Merry Christmas. We Come on out and see us. We're going to be at the uh, Corner Market there at Midtown, where we set up the Element Well Studios this time of year to raise... Uh, can't get toys and food items, I should say, for Homes for Hope. And that is a... That is a philanthropy that the corner market folks really are invested heavily in. They're big supporters of that. So we want to help them out, and that's where we're going to be. Um, The government is scheduled to run out of money tomorrow. However, they they did act in passing a short-term continuing resolution. One week yesterday, late yesterday. This goes, you see, this kind of stuff happens without a lot of fanfare. Nobody knows about it. But if they had not taken action, the government would not be authorized to pay its bills past tomorrow. The debate that's happening, which is typical in a lame duck session, is that because in accordance with Section 8 of Article 1 of the Constitution, spending bills do rise from the, they originate in the House of Representatives, which in a couple of weeks is going to be under the control of Republicans. And so they want to defer that discretionary spending bill until then, do Republicans. Democrats, on the other hand, would like to fund the entire 2023 fiscal year 
through September 30th, 2023, the remainder of it. They'd like to do it in the lame duck session while they're in charge. And that's where the clash comes. So at this point, because they can't get together on all this stuff, they have just signed off on a continuing resolution, which simply means we just continue to spend exactly as we are right now based on the prior appropriations bill that was passed. And then we get into this issue of, and I'm sorry we're out of time today, I'm going to cover this tomorrow, because I think it's important folks understand that. We had this thing called an omnibus budget bill. A lot of folks are familiar with that. And that's just one giant piece of legislation that funds all of the discretionary aspects of government in lieu of 12 separate appropriations bills which form the discretionary functions of government, which includes the Department of Defense and all the other agencies, what it does not fund is what's in the mandatory spending bucket. That's Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, a variety of um, transfer payment, welfare-type programs, and debt interest. All that's mandatory. It's on autopilot. No votes, no bills. Just happens automatically. The discretionary portion which is about 30, little maybe 31%, 32% of total spending, that has to be appropriated, has to be funded. There are 12 bills consistent with present-day structure that would fund and provide an, an allocation and appropriation for those aspects of government. But what these guys like to do is dump them all, combine them all into one big, giant monstrosity called an omnibus bill. And the reason they do is because nobody will dig into the details and say, well, I want to rip that out of this giant bill. You're just more likely to do that if you're deliberating 12 separate bills. Which, by the way, Will is regular order. We should return to regular order, and we should appropriate the discretionary funds of, uh, functions of government with these separate 12 bills. This is why it's going to be really hard to get the 87,000 IRS agent funding out, because it's, it's combined and buried in this giant omnibus bill, and nobody wants to blink because it means the government shuts down as opposed to 12 separate bills. And by the way, they also include the provision known as PAYGO it includes a waiver of that, which was passed, enacted in 2010, which says that anytime you add spending on that side, you got to cut somewhere else. They waive it every single time because it's buried in this giant bill and nobody wants to blink. We need to get to regular order, and we only need, by the way, 41 Republicans in the Senate plus the House passing it to go to regular order the way it's supposed to work. Just something folks need to keep in mind. We're going to be in Hattiesburg tomorrow. We thank you so much for joining us today on Middays. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.